welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Recovering the Household, a talk by Larson Hicks from the Family-Based Business Workshop. I thought I gave myself an hour uh, or an hour and a half. I'm looking at this and I've only got half an hour, which is a which is a, it's gonna be hard for me to do. So I'm gonna try to cram my talk into half an hour, but I do have a little bit of time at the end, so maybe I can I can finish it there. Why don't we um, now that everyone's seated and here? Why don't we open with a word of prayer? Our heavenly Father, you are so good to us, and um, we don't deserve it. Um, you have blessed us with incredible. Um, an incredible inheritance and a, a, a responsibility as well. Um, and we ask, Lord, that you'd make us faithful to recover what we've lost, uh, the areas that, where we've lost ground. And we pray that this, uh, this meeting, this discussion, this workshop would be the beginning of a new movement of your spirit here in Huntsville um, in households and in establishing households and in building up your kingdom. We thank you uh, for the freedom we have and for the opportunity we have today to do this, and uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so um, I've got exactly 30 minutes. So I'll start by just who, who I think uh, it looks like most, a lot of the people here I, I know already, so you guys know my background, but, but there are a few that don't. So I'm just going to really fast give you kind of my own just kind of professional biography. So I, I, I started in sales and customer service and marketing, um, did, uh, did product, got into product marketing, read uh, Stephen Blank's uh, Four Steps to the Epiphany and his startup owner's manual. And I read um, uh, Jeffrey Moore's uh, Crossing the Chasm. Those books blew my mind uh, about building products. And come on in, yeah, come on in. There's tons of space. Everyone look at them, they're late. <laughs> That's Heidi. She actually works for me. Uh, And she had to drive a long way, so thanks for coming, Heidi. Um, So got really into the idea of startups and and product marketings, um, how to discover a business model, which is a different idea than than executing a business model, uh, something that we get confused about in business. Um, And so that kind of became my obsession professionally. And... um, and I, I kind of went as far as I thought I could go with the company I was with, a uh, software economic data company, and quit. Um, my wife was, was crazy enough to, um, to give me her blessing to quit my job and uh, tried to start a couple businesses. Um, we had at that point a, uh, a music kind of side hustle. So I was promoting concerts. We lived in the Pacific Northwest, and I, I put on about 100 concerts um, over the course of a couple of years and uh, a music festival. So that was kind of a... A, a side hustle um, that was bringing in a little bit of money. Not, certainly not enough to feed our family at that time. Um, but I had a couple crazy ideas for businesses. And uh, so quit my job uh, with a little bit of not really any money in the bank and not really much of an idea about how to start a business and failed. Uh, frankly, just failed. Um, I, I got a couple customers in both of those cases but just ran out of money. And um, But, but it was... Um, it was an opportunity for us to, to, to walk in faith and uh, to, to, uh, to see what God had for us. Uh, one of my mentors at that time, I was saying, you know, Rod, I need, I, need, I need you to pray that God blesses business A or business 
be? You know, I'm trying to start these two businesses. Could, could you help me, you know, let's pray that God blesses one of those two. And his response was, that's not how Christians pray, Larson. Um, Christians pray like a soldier reporting for duty. Um, you need to show up in prayer with that kind of attitude. God, where do you want me to be? Are these the things you want me to do? Um, if not, um, make that clear. If you need to shut one of these, both of these businesses down to, get, to give me that message, then great. Um, so that's what happened. We, started, we changed kind of the way we prayed. Um, ended up inadvertently with a bunch of different startups, a bunch of friends uh, and connections that had startups. Um, and I'd sent this email out saying, I don't really know what I'm doing with my life. I quit my job, had a good job. Um, I, I, I have these skills and these passions. Sent this email out to a bunch of friends and family and just said, if you hear of something, let me know. I didn't get anything back from that. I got one, uh, one family member who's like, our, our Baptist church needs a youth pastor. You know, would you be interested in that? <laughs> I was like, I mean, look, if that's what the Lord's got for us, we'll, we'll do it. Um, but, but, but I think because of our change in our heart about work and about what we were doing with our lives, um, we were just open, you know, open to see what God had for us. And, and just kind of little by little, people started showing up um, who had... Um, who needed help with their new businesses. And I was really interested, as, as I mentioned, in startups and in how to get a business off the ground, how to discover a market problem, and how to position a product. Um, and so I ended up with a bunch of people who wanted uh, my help getting their company started. So, so for about a year and a half, over the course of that year and a half, I ended up with about 10 clients. And I was just doing a bunch of random stuff. Some of it was sales, some of it was marketing, some of it was strategy. Uh, but it was a really wonderful learning experience. Um, and then we ended up in Huntsville. Uh, we didn't intend to end up in Huntsville. We, we intended to end up in North Carolina. Um, but same kind of thing. Um, we prayed, um, you know, man plans his steps and the Lord directs his path. And so we prayed, you know, we've got a plan. We're trying to do the faithful, smart, you know, thing. Um, but if God's got different plans, we'll, we'll, we'll try to be sensitive and try to keep our eyes open and, and walk by faith. And so... Um, ended up meeting a man here who had a biotech company, and he offered me a job basically on the spot when we first met. And so um, ended up working at this biotech company for three years, which I've got no background whatsoever in biotech, but that was a wonderful learning experience as well. And so today, um, about, I guess it was four, four and a half years ago, um, I met uh, through actually Ron. I, I, I remembered this when I, when I was thinking about who should speak here. Um, Ron introduced me to the guy that runs the Shoals Economic Development, or no, uh, Shoals Entrepreneurship Center. And uh, his name is Giles. And Giles uh, told him my background. He said, well, I've got a couple startups I'd love for you just to talk to because we're thinking about giving them money. And we, I'd be interested to know if you think their businesses are worthwhile. And so I drove out to Muscle Shoals, uh, Florence, and met with these couple of companies. And uh, one of them I didn't really think was all that good. Uh, and the other I thought was great. And, and told, told that to Giles. And the, the other one was a company called Sycamore, which was trying to kind of disrupt uh, this, this industry called locum tenens, um, which is just temporary physicians go into hospitals that need extra help. Um, and so uh, developed a relationship with the owner of that business. And over the next six months or so, I just was a, a friend and advisor. Um, and, and I, should, I left out one part. I, I, I'd accepted a job. Uh, Bethany and I had prayed and decided we were looking for something else. 
We weren't sure what. Um, I'd accepted a job at a, at a startup incubator uh, that was starting here in Huntsville. Uh, I was going to be the chief revenue officer. I was going to help launch new companies and get the revenue going with these new companies. Very excited about that. That was kind of a dream come true in a lot of ways. Um, and then um, through a number of a series of events, it became obvious to me that that was not what, um, what I should be doing. So uh, in God's providence, he gave us a very, very clear sign that this was not the right thing. And, uh, and so we pulled out of that, which was kind of heartbreaking, and then this thing came together. Um, so I've been with Sycamore now for four and a half years as their CEO, and we've got a, a 13 or so employees. Um, we're on track to do about $4 million in business this year, not, not a huge company, um, but we're doing good business, solid profit margin. You know, um, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we're all remote. Uh, we've got about 100 doctors or so at any given you know, time that are going around the country working um, mostly at emergency rooms and at, uh, doing hospital medicine. So that's, that's me, that's my background. Really enjoy, um, enjoy this path that God's had us on. And, uh, and so, so that's a little bit about me. So just um, some acknowledgements. The, the talk I'm going to give here in the next 23 minutes um, is uh, a lot of it's been, been influenced by this book uh, by a gentleman named C.R. Wiley, called Man of the House. Um, and, and you'd think it's a book about men. Um, it's really not. It's a book about households. Um, uh, the, the, um, the subtitle is A Handbook for Building a Shelter that Will Last in a World that is Falling Apart. Um, Leon Podols did the foreword, if you're familiar with that name. So um, Pastor Wiley, the author of this book, uh, we, Trinity Reformed Church has, has contracted with him to come out here uh, about once every two months to, to teach and spend a week with us just teaching and, and preaching and um, kind of engaging with our community. So we think he's, he's wonderful. Um, this book was my introduction to him, um, but this book really made a, a big impact. Um, there's a second book called The Christian Household and the War for the Cosmos, which really under, which, which gives a lot of scriptural underpinnings for this argument. This is, this is less of a scriptural argument and more of an argument from history and um, and philosophy, but so let's just dive in. So the first thing I want to talk about is the household. What is the household? The Greek word for house is oikos. Uh, you've probably seen the, the yogurt. Um, oikos is is house in um, in in Greek, and the word economics, um, the Greek word for economics is is oikonomia. So you can you can see the relation. It's household management. So economics is not the study of numbers and GDPs. Um, that may be what economists do today, but, but the, the term economics is household management. Um, and that's really the inspiration for this book, was a, was a book by the ancient um, philosopher Xenophon, who wrote a book called Economics. And it was about, you would look at the book and think it's about GDP, and it's, it's totally about, uh, it's really about his wife. It's about uh, his relationship to his wife, training his wife to be a household manager. Um, in Matthew 21, uh, it talks about there being a certain householder. Jesus talks about a certain householder. It's also translated uh, in the uh, ESV as master. Uh, the NASB uh, translates that word householder as landowner. Um, and the word here is oika uh, despotis. Oika despotis. Uh, so you can, see, you can hear that word again, oikos. Uh, when I looked it up in an interlinear Greek uh, Bible online, the translation was CEO. Um, so, so this, this term um, that, that Jesus uses, there was a certain householder, was, was really a CEO. Um, 
Titus 1.7, when it talks about a, a bishop or a presbyter, an elder, it says he must be blameless uh, as a steward. And that word steward is oika, uh, oikonomon um, of God. So he needs to be a, a steward, a, 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 a uh, faithful uh, household manager. Uh, in 1 Timothy 3, it talks about one who rules his house well, um, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? House is, is again, that, that, that oikos word. Um, and, uh, and church is ecclesia. In Genesis, so, so, so this is a term, this is a phrase, this is a concept that's, that's all throughout the Bible. And, and, um, and you'll, you'll notice that, there's, that, that uh, you don't see a lot about businesses um, as separate entities in Scripture. Uh, you see households, you see managers, you see, you see masters and slaves and, and, um, and, and manservants and, and maidservants and those kinds of things, but you don't really see um, businesses as a, a separate thing. Um, Genesis 14, 14, it says, Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went and pursued as far as Dan. So th- I don't have 318 uh, armed servants in, that were born in my household. What in the world uh, is going on here, right? Um, so, so clearly this concept of house uh, in the ancient world and also in scripture is different, I think, from the way that we think of household. We think of it as the place we eat and sleep and, and, uh, and recreate. Um, but I think the biblical concept and the, and the ancient concept is that a, a household is really a small kingdom. It's a small empire. It's its own productive economy. And I think we've lost that definition of the household. And I, I think it's drastically altered our society. And it's really changed how we view scripture. Um, and, and how it talks about the household. Okay, so that's a little bit about the household. Um, I want to talk really briefly about this concept. You guys probably hear this term a lot, anti-fragile. Uh, it's become popular to use that word. Um, uh, how many have read Nassim Taleb's books? Okay, I'm seeing, I'm seeing like th- maybe 4%, 5% of this, of this audience. Nassim Taleb's books are wonderful. If, you're, if you've got a stomach for him, he's, he's kind of intense. He's really arrogant, but he's brilliant. Um, he, he coined that term, anti-fragile. It's one of his books. Um, I've read all of Nassim Taleb's books. My wife rolls her eyes whenever she hears me mention Nassim Taleb because she knows it's going to be a long conversation. Um, but, uh, but, but I think it's important, actually, to understand what his, the, the term anti-fragile because I think uh, the, the way that we understand it is wrong, and, and, and he's got an important point he's trying to make in that book. So, so if you think of like a china dish, like the china, the fine china dishes in your home, those are fragile, right? They break easily. On the other end of that spectrum, you've got like a rock. A rock would not be fragile. A rock would be, would be more robust. It's harder. It's more durable. Um, the, but both of those things, if you hit a rock hard enough, you put it under enough pressure, it is going to break. So a, a, a rock and china are just on two different ends of the spectrum of fragility, they're both fragile. Neither of those things are anti-fragile. Anti-fragile is something that gets stronger under stress. It's something that gets stronger 
when, it's, when, it's, when it undergoes uh, uh, different difficulties and trials and, 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 um, and stress. So, so our bodies are somewhat anti-fragile. So our bodies, if you send someone to space and they don't have gravity, they lose their bone density um, and they become weaker. Um, so our bodies, when you put, and, and we've got a lot of military guys here who can tell you, you, pu you can put your body under enough stress regularly enough, it actually gets stronger. It becomes more and more capable to, of doing more. So our bodies have a kind of anti-fragility. Um, our immune systems are the same kind of way, right? If you, if you put yourself in a hermetically sealed vacuum, sort of without any, any contagions, your immune system's gonna go Go, go away, and you're gonna become susceptible to pathogens because your body and your immune system need regular f interaction with pathogens and with bacteria and with parasites to actually become strong enough to fight off new things. Um, I'd say look at the presidency of Trump, right? Trump was anti-fragile. Seemed like the more controversy, the more stupid things he said, the better, uh, the more popular he got, right? It, it, it's actually an amazing principle. Uh, books, you know, the best thing that could ever happen to you, if you're an author, the best thing that could happen to you is to have your book put on the banned list because it's gonna sell like hotcakes. That, that's anti-fragility. Anti that's something that the more you try to cancel it, the more you try to, to, to crush it, the stronger it gets. And, and so I would say the church, I believe the church is anti-fragile. Um, and, and our savior was anti-fragile, right? He, he the, the genesis of this, this thing, the Christian church, was the destruction of our leader, right? The death of our leader was the beginning of this thing that took over the world and transformed the world, right? And so that's anti-fragility. And, and what, what, what my hope is, uh, and the reason I'm, one of the reasons I'm so incredibly passionate about this concept that I'm talking about today is, is I want, I think we've seen through a lot of the circumstances we've been through over the last couple of years, um, we've identified, I think, a lot of weaknesses in, in our society and in our churches. Um, and I think those things that were anti-fragile have gotten stronger. And those things that uh, were just fragile or were just maybe robust, but still on that fragility spectrum, uh, were broken. Um, and so I'd like to see our households our communities, our churches become more anti-fragile. So like in the, in, in the stock market, you hedge, right? You create, you invest in some things that are gonna do well when the economy is, is booming, and then you invest or you have options and things that will do well when the economy is not booming, right? And that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a kind of building a kind of anti-fragility into your investment portfolio. A business can be anti-fragile. So I, I'm, I'm in healthcare. Um, and we've had, so we've got a business line that's in telemedicine. Telemedicine, when, when, uh, when volumes at hospitals dropped, our telemedicine business was booming. Um, when volumes came back to the hospitals, our, our hospital-based business was booming. So you can build businesses, and good business owners do this intentionally. They try to build anti-fragility into their businesses. Um, right now, I believe that our homes in America are, anti, are, are fragile. Um, they're very fragile, and I think it's because we we've, we've, we don't have this concept of what the household is, and so divorce rates are through the roof. Our kids leave the home and never come back. Um, they leave the faith at alarming rates. Um, 
I gave, I, I spoke at the graduation at a Christian school in town this last, this, this year and um, shared with them the statistic that I read uh, recently where um, for kids who start uh, college at a state school, uh, identifying as a Christian, um, the number that um, graduate uh, still proclaiming faith, um, that, that drop-off, that percentage of people that, that, that stop claiming Christ over those four years in state school is, is worse than the death rate at, at the beaches of Normandy. So, um, so parents in, in today's world would be better off sending their kids to go fight a D-Day. It'd be safer for their kids' souls uh, than to send them to four years of state school. That's crazy, right? Um, I don't think it's supposed to be that way. I don't think it has to be that way. I don't think colleges are the problem. I think households are, are a big part of the problem. So can we set our houses up in a way that, um, that the stresses in our economy, uh, that stresses in politics uh, actually make our households stronger and actually make our churches stronger and actually make our communities more tight-knit? Uh, can we set them up in a way that, that those kinds of events allow us to discover weaknesses in our community, vulnerabilities that we as a community uh, can shore up together? Uh, I, I think anti-fragility in church and in communities looks like productive house, a, a, a interweaving, interlocking web of covenant bonds to churches and to families and to businesses that are all, it, it's, it's this fabric. And, and I think if, uh, that, that's kind of the vision that I think we wanna see, and I think we've lost that uh, pretty, pretty drastically in the last 100 years or so. Okay, so, wow, 10 more minutes. Um, so let's talk really quickly about capitalism and slavery. <laughs> Just try to keep it, keep it light. Um, so, so free trade and, and competition in the marketplace is not synonymous with uh, capitalism. So you can actually be critical of capitalism, and especially what I call crony capitalism, uh, and not be, uh, and not be uh, opposed to, to free markets and competitive markets. Um, so crony capitalism is this idea that, uh, that sectors, industries, whole markets have been captured by individual companies or groups through regulation and legal protection by co-opting uh, the government who's supposed to be the, the neutral referee to enforce contracts. Um, the, 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 so, so let me say that again. Crony capitalism is this idea that there are industries, sectors, markets, um, think government contracting, think healthcare, where a few companies have captured have captured the economy and, and protected their position in a market and, and protected uh, outsiders from, from coming in and competing with them by co-opting the referee, the government, who's supposed to just be there to, to, to keep a level playing field, enforce contracts. Uh, they've co-opted the government through lobbying and, and other things to protect their position, um, to mandate vaccines, for instance, if you're a pharmaceutical company, right? What an amazing, what an amazing blessing. Wouldn't you all, I mean, wouldn't Bigfoot Little Donuts love to have the government mandate everybody have a box of donuts every, every month? That would be great. Or every four months or whatever. That'd be awesome. Um, so that's crony capitalism. And you see it a lot, as I said, in, in healthcare, government, uh, contracting. There's a lot of other places. Um, 
So the problem is that, is that when that kind of thing happens, you create greater and greater barriers to entry into new businesses. Um, so there's a book called uh, The Servile State by a guy named Hilaire Belloc. He's a contemporary of, of G.K. Chesterton's and a friend of G.K. Chesterton's. And, and in The Servile State, he argues that slavery is a natural state of the economy, and it's as old as time. So all economies throughout the history of the world have been, um, have basically the engine of those economies has been slavery. And slavery takes a bunch of different forms. So there's trading your time, mostly all of it, in exchange for a subsistence, however comfortable. That's, that's slavery, that's the basic definition. You're, you're trading your, all of your time uh, in exchange for subsistence. And of course, there are some forms of slavery that are just straight up wicked and forbidden in, in scripture, the kind that we saw in America where humans were, were, were treated as property, uh, man-stealing, this is forbidden in scripture, this is, this is evil. Um, Ethnic-based chattel slavery is, is evil. But there's another form of, of, of slavery, there's a lot of other forms of slavery. Indebted, indentured servitude is this idea that you get into so much debt and you, that you can't pay, that you end up you end up a slave. You end up having to pay off your you have to work until you pay off your debt. Um, or the other the other scenario is you are destitute. You don't have any money. You don't have any resources. You don't have any property. You don't have a way to provide for yourself. And so you, as a as the leader of your family or as an individual, say, you know what? Um, I can either stay here in in my in my current destitute situation and live in indigency. Or I can sign on with a household and become a full-time slave. You know, basically say, you, you provide me shelter and food and I will give you my time. And that's been, a, that's been an option uh, throughout history. Um, another form of slavery that I think most Americans are engaged in um, is, when, uh, is when you don't have a means of generating income or wealth of your own, so you contract with an employer and you commit most of your productive time exclusively to that employer. Um, you're not free to have another job necessarily. You don't, you don't, you don't have a lot of time outside of your job to, to be able to do your, your own thing. So, so all of these are different forms of slavery, uh, but they are slavery. If you don't own the ability to generate a living, you don't own, if you don't, if you don't own the, 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 the term, it, it sounds like I'm a Marxist when I use the, the phrase proletariat. It's an old phrase. Proletariat is an old term. It just means somebody who doesn't have the means of production, somebody who doesn't have property. So you don't have, property is the old, in an agrarian society, it was property. If you had land, you could generate income. Uh, you could raise, you could raise crops, you could, you could raise animals. Um, in our day and age, it's it's things like uh, it's things like owning a business, right? Um, that's that's property uh, that's productive, or real estate. If you own Airbnbs, um, that's that's a productive piece of property. But it's not you know, productive property is not thing, stuff, right? It's not toys and gadgets and TVs and cars, etc. Um, productive property are assets that generate income, right? Um, so again, you classically think of farmland or rental property, uh, but a business is productive property. So the problem with modern slavery and big corporations um, uh, is, that, is that I believe uh, we are all, the 95% of us, uh, maybe 99% of Americans 
by this classic definition, are slaves in, in this sense. We're proletariat, don't have any productive property. We've, we've, got, a, we've got a great living. We, most of us have very high standard of living. We, 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 we are very comfortable. But our time is not our own. We, we have traded away our time to uh, a corporation uh, to give us our subsistence. So the problem to me is that corporations are, I believe, false households. So corporations, and that's actually part of the word, corporation has got the Latin word corpus, which means body, right? So a, a, a corporation is a kind of body, which is, which is the same metaphor that Plato uses for the republic. It's the same metaphor that Christ uses for the church. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a metaphor that we use in our household. There's a head of a household, right? Um, so corporations are another kind of body, uh, but I think they're a false household. And the, and the thing that they're missing is a loving patriarch, a father, a loving father who, uh, who is the head of the house, right? And, and what you do in a corporation is, in most corporations, you sever the head, you cut the head off, the, the loving father, um, and you replace it with a robot, with, with a board of directors who are dispassionately, uh, f they have a fiduciary responsibility to return, uh, to, to provide returns to shareholders. And so that's their job. That's their responsibility. It's not to care about, you know, the Smiths or the Jones or, or, or any of the circumstances of the, the people in the business. Their job is to represent the shareholders and to ensure that you bring a return on investment. Um, there's, there's benefits um, to, to that, that structure, but I, but I think it's a, I don't think it's the natural way that God's built the world, um, and, I, and I think that it's, um, that it's something we should, uh, we should be critical of. Um, so real quick, while on the topic of corporations, um, there's this classic com uh, concept of sphere sovereignty. Um, where you've got the classical definition is you've got three different spheres of sovereignty. You have, the, you have the state, who has their sphere, their legitimate sphere of sovereignty defined by scripture. You have the church, which has its legitimate authority. And then you have the household. Those are the three spheres. There are only three spheres. There are not four spheres. There's not five spheres. It's three. Um, I would contend that in today's world that we live in, uh, there's this fourth sphere that has emerged, the corporation, uh, the office, the employer, that is, ha, has not, not only emerged, but it is, it is trying to swallow everything. So it's, 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 like, a, it's like an invasive species. You know, it's, it's, it's like kudzu um, or, uh, or what's the carp uh, in, the, in, the, in the Ohio River or whatever. It's, 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 um, it's unnatural. Um, and it's taking over everything. So, so the corporation uh, colludes with the government uh, and, and drives legislation and drives regulations. The corporation today, the, the modern corporation, also wants to be your, uh, wants to be your church. They want to tell you um, what you can and can't believe. They want to make you, uh, a friend of mine called me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, my corporation sent me a gay pride flag and said, I have to put this flag up in my, in my office. Um, what? <laughs> that's not their job. Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, yeah, they're saying I have to do this. Well, that's not, that's, are, are they, have, they, have we made them the priests of, of our society? They get to define 
uh, what, what is good and bad and what, what, what's right for society now. Um, so they're trying to take over, you know, a lot of corporations, I'm, I'm, I'm really against the idea of, of companies referring to, to their employees and each other as a family, because I think it's a lie. It's, you're not a family. Um, it's more of a, like a sports team. You know, it'd be a better metaphor for, for what's happening in corporations, but it's, it's performance-based. It's not a family. Um, it doesn't have a, a father. Uh, it doesn't have a mother. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a corporation. Um, and a lot of companies, you know, this before the before coronavirus, um, the the absurdity of of the modern office was was reaching its its peak, where it was like every office had you know corporate you know cafeteria and 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 you could go buy lunch on the on the office, and there are foosball tables and ping pong tables at the office, and there's all kinds of entertainment and all kinds of fun things at the office. And the idea is, hey, just just live here. Like, make this your home. You know, we'd like to be your home. Um, wouldn't they, right? I mean, it's, of course they do. Um, so I would argue that, um, that corporations hate families, um, that they want men and women to leave the home. They prefer for us to not have children. Um, and we're seeing that today. They're volunteering to pay for you to abort your children. Um, that would be best in their, in their stupid foolish view, um, they don't think about the fact that children are their, are their future customers and employees and partners and innovators. They don't think about that concept. They just care about their next quarterly earnings report, or at least the robot just cares about the next quarterly earnings report. Um, and so they'd rather keep that woman from taking maternity leave. If you do have kids, they'd like, you, they'd like mom and dad to not stay with, they, wouldn't, they don't want mom to stay at home with the kids. They want you to put them in a daycare. Um, they, you know, let somebody else raise them, let the state raise them, perhaps, but definitely not mom. She needs to be at work. Um, corporations would rather have you keeping up with the Joneses um, with unchecked consumerism. Uh, they'd love for you to be over-leveraged in debt, which is, by the way, the opposite of anti-fragile. Being in lots of debt is the opposite of being anti-fragile. You make yourself very, very fragile when you are over-leveraged. Um, so they want, they want that, though. They want you to be a consumer, over-leveraged consumer, because what happens when you're in that position? You're desperate. Um, you're desperate, and you remain totally dependent on the man. So, so I, I don't think that being a slave in, in every case is sinful. Um, you can choose to be a slave and not be a sinner. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that. Uh, I've been a slave most of my most of my career, uh, still am at, at, to a certain degree. Um, but, but I believe that um, slavery teaches dependence and, and blind obedience. And I think it is far better for society um, to, be a, a, to own productive property. Um, because I believe that productive property, uh, having a productive household, owning a business is a school of virtue. Um, scripture talks about, about us becoming virtuous. This is what maturity in Christ looks like. Um, uh, Jeff, Jeff Robertson is here, gave a talk a couple, a year and a half or so ago about, um, at our church about virtue. And he defined it as habits that are towards the good. Um, and so, 
so for many of those, it looks like you know uh, the, the bad habits, the, the unvirtuous habits look like leisure, gluttony, carelessness with finances, consumer debt, lack of initiative or leadership, ignorance, disengagement with civic duties, uh, and, and uh, real community, uh, disengagement with real community, disengagement with, with local politics. Owning a business forces a person to learn hard work. It forces you to learn sacrifice. It forces you to learn thrift. It forces you to actually understand taxes. It forces you to actually understand the regulations that the government are, are enacting. It actually affects you, and you start to actually care about it. You stop caring about the news cycle, and you start actually caring about like planning and zoning in your own city. Um, and not that long ago, um, not that long ago, maybe maybe a hundred years ago, nearly every home in America was productive. Um, we were an agrarian society. If you go back a little over a hundred years ago, before the Industrial Revolution, so every family owned their own means of production and operated a business. Um, and and in fact, our nation was founded by these kinds of households, these kinds of men and women. So um, I'm gonna apologize to Jason, who's my first talker, speaker, and I'm going to go over just a little bit. <laughs> Thanks, man. I will, I'm, going to, I'm going to cover one last thing, because I think this is a cool, a cool concept, um, and, and then maybe at the end I'll cover the rest of my talk. So I want to talk really quickly about, um, about roles in the household. This is a hot button issue, has been for a while. Um, and I did this at church. I'm going to try to do this here, um, see if, and, and, and I'll be really, try to be quick about it, but I want to run a little experiment. So we've all heard about the roles of husbands and fathers. Um, somebody, somebody just shout out, uh, I actually love kids. We've got a lot of kids in the room. Kids, this is an assignment for you, okay, when you're ready. Shout out for me uh, the roles of a dad. What are your dad's Jobs. What's your dad supposed to do in the house? Don't be shy. Feed you? Or beat you? Those are both right answers. Feed you, beat you. I like those. Uh, what else? Cook burgers. Okay, I like that. I like that. Any other things dad's supposed to do? Teach? Teach? What was that? Make money. Absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll put that in the same category as making burgers. Um, <laughs> what, if a, what if a bad guy shows up to the house? What's your dad supposed to do? That's right. Hit him with a shovel. It's good. All right. So dad, so that, so that's obvious. Okay. So dad, dad uh, feeds the family, makes, goes out and gets, you know, makes money, uh, protects, uh, Disciplines. Um, okay, kids, same kids. What is what are mom's jobs? Feed you basically. Feed you basically. I like that. <laughs> Clean and discipline. Okay. School. Excellent. Okay. Teach you how to run your own household. Good. I like that. I like that. <laughs> Lots of participation from that corner. I love it. Okay, so excellent work. Let me read, let me read from you uh, what, uh, what Scripture says about the virtuous woman. 
Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. Her husband's success is a result of her virtue. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. That's my own, that's my own insertion. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll skip over my notes. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She perceives that her merchandise is good. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hand to the needy. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen gar garments and sells them and supplies sas sashes for the merchants. She opens her mouth with wisdom and, her, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Okay. So, I didn't hear when I asked at least the children, and I'd be interested to know if any of the, the adults were thinking this, but I didn't hear anything about her employees, about a mom, uh, about a, a wife uh, taking care of uh, her employees. It says it here in the passage, she provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. So she's got a staff. Nobody talked about that. It talks about how she extends her hand to the poor. So she's involved in charity and philanthropy. Uh, it talks about her going, uh, doing real estate deals. She sees property and acquires it. Uh, nobody talked about her, her planting vineyards, uh, going out and, 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 and building new productive businesses. She's got merchandise, that, good merchandise that she's selling in the marketplace. Uh, we didn't, I didn't hear that as we went through the, the circle, the, the room here. Um, and, and also, it's interesting in verse 23, her husband's known the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. So her husband, because of the way that she is running this household, uh, is, is able to have a position of, of authority and influence uh, in the, with, he sits among the elders uh, of the city. So her husband's able to be engaged in politics because of what she's doing at home. She makes a linen garment and sells them. She supplies sassers to merchants. So she's, she's generating income. She's selling products. So I, I point this out because I think our, all of our discussions about the roles of men and women um, are, are kind of stupid from the beginning if we don't know what the heck a house is, right? If we're, if we're going to talk about the roles in the house, but our definition of what a house is is wrong, then, then of course our definitions are going to be way insufficient. So if home is just a place to recreate and sleep, then yeah, being a, a husband means you get control of the remote. And that's it. Like that's the whole definition of the, of the, of the job. Like it's who gets the remote, who, who, uh, who washes the dishes, you know? Um, but, but I think that's a, it's a, it's a truncated view of the household. Um, and, and, uh, and this isn't a woman in, in, in Proverbs 31, this is not a woman who is only concerned with keeping the house tidy and taking care of the kids. And listen, that's, that's a big part of the job. Uh, and, and if you have a lot of kids, that's, that's a long phase. That may be, that may be decades, right? Um, but it's, it's, uh, for, for most of us, there's going to be margin um, to do more, right? Um, and, and I love that it says, um, 
that she doesn't eat the bread of idleness. Um, I, think, I think we're asking far too little of, 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 of mothers um, in, in one respect. Um, and, and I think that it's, it shouldn't be surprising that mothers um, feel this longing to go do something more meaningful, right? Um, they see dad going off to work and doing something in the marketplace that seems interesting. And they're going, well, all I do is polish the china. You know, the kids are being educated at the, at the government school. Um, you know, I, I'd like to do something worthwhile. Well, she's, this woman has, doesn't have self-esteem issues, right? This woman doesn't have anxiety issues. This woman is, is hustling. She's running a family business. She's got several businesses. She has a staff. Um, and I think this is the biblical view of the virtuous woman. Um, and, and I believe that, um, I believe that we can, a lot of, you know, I think most of us here would, would call ourselves conservative Christians. And I think we've put ourselves in a weird spot where we, where we want, uh, we want to honor scripture with respect to roles, but we've forgotten what, what, how scripture defines the household. Um, in 1 Timothy 5, 14, it says, speak of young widows, say, so I would have younger widows marry, uh, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. So, so he wants younger widows to, to get to work um, and, not, and, 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 and build a household. And it's, it's not, it doesn't end with bear children. It, it, it talks about managing a household. So I'm going to stop here. Um, I think um, the last thing I'll say about this, and then, and then I'll pick up some of this is, uh, later, is that I think the Industrial Revolution um, has left, um, we've left the farm and the ancestral household um, to, to move to the city and to uh, engage in the office or the, the corporation. Um, I think the father's been taken out of the home um, and, uh, and then the children uh, have been removed and put in, in a government school. Um, the, the children also, this is a very frustrating thing for my, I've got three teenage boys who have wanted to work since they were, you know, have wanted to like go earn money since they were 11, 12. Um, and we've had to beg, steal, and borrow from friends who were willing to hire them under the table. Um, it's, it's a real challenge, actually. You can't, like there are all these goofy labor laws in our country now that make it very difficult for young people to go work and earn money. You can do it. Uh, one of the hacks is to have a family business because they can work in a family business or a family farm. Um, but but, it's, but um, we've, got, we've got dad out of the house. Uh, we've got kids at school. Kids aren't allowed to work. Um, we don't have, you know, mom's alone and unproductive in the household. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's a, I think we're in a, I think where we are right now in this context is, is, uh, is why I think we've become as fragile as we've become. Um, I think we've abandoned this kind of engine of society, which is the household. Um, we've, we've blown it up. We've allowed the corporation to come in and sort of take over um, and so, um, so what do we do about it? So I'm going to stop um, there. Um, well, I'll, I'll just I'll, the thing I didn't I didn't say this, but but the, when people ask me what my wife does, I, I tell them that she is a uh, household executive. Um, so so uh, it's not oh no she doesn't work. Uh, no, she's a household executive. Uh, she's she's running an empire. Uh, she's got she's got a whole. A whole operation going there, um, and 
and you know, we're, we're discovering this stuff ourselves, so we're, we're very immature and young and new with all this stuff, but, but we have a vision of, of what we're trying to recover. Um, and I hope that today we're gonna be able to share that vision with you all. And, um, and so what I'm hoping we'll do with the next, uh, next bit of this, our time here, is um, we're gonna have um, these three different men in town who have started family businesses uh, come up and tell us their story. Um, I'm gonna interview them here, and, uh, and then, we will, uh, and then we'll, we'll close with uh, a Q&A, and then I'll, I'll close with some closing remarks and, and maybe cover a couple more things here. Um, okay. That's all I've got. Why don't we take a five minute break while we get Jason mic'd up and on the stage. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.